I have a grandbaby. I have a new grandbaby. Her name is Lucy. Uh, she was born on Friday. Seth, your birthday was Saturday. Thank the Lord it's not the same birthday. <laughs> Seth Peterson, our student pastor, his birthday was Saturday. But uh, Lucy was born to Elizabeth and Will Gardner uh, on Friday. Uh, and uh, she is awesome and spectacular and marvelous. So now I've got to figure out how to do. I have two granddaughters, Nora and Lucy. All right. So, uh, all that to say, it's a, it's a good day. It's a good day. Turn in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter 14. A young boy was raised in a home of a wealthy merchant. He, his father was uh, well-respected in the community and uh, experienced a great uh, success in his business until two of his children died of yellow fever. And he just never got over the death of his children. So this father, who once was a successful businessman, ended up being a drunk. He lost everything. He put his family in poverty and he died dishonored and debt-ridden. His surviving son determined, I will never end up like that. No matter what, I'm not going to end up in that situation. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I am a success, that, that I retain my honor in this life. And so, that's exactly what he did. On his own, by the time he was 14, uh, and began to uh, build a, a craft, and he had a head for business, and he became a shipline owner in the export-import business by the time he was 22. And he had made it. He uh, bought the family uh, estate that had been taken over by creditors. He bought it back at the age of 22. He had made it. But then uh, the economy started hurting. Uh, the economy, really, it was taxation. Uh, his business was taxed at such a rate that there was no way he could maintain his business and make a profit. He was operating his business on a deficit by the taxes alone. He got tired of it, and he said, I want to make a difference. I don't want to see this kind of thing affect not only my business, but the businesses and the lives of those around me. So he joined a revolution and became one of the sons of liberty. He enrolled in the New Haven militia, and he made a reputation now as a soldier. He became renowned in his strategy and in his courage on the battlefield. When the nation, when the 13 colonies uh, declared their independence, this young man was recruited by George Washington to enter into the battle and was given a, a title, uh, first of colonel, then brigadier general. 
He went to Ticonderoga and was an influence in the, uh, in the defense and the recapture of Ticonderoga along with Ethan Allen. Even though he didn't lead the charge at Saratoga, he became the hero of the Battle of Saratoga. By all estimation, he was a hero of the American Revolution. But after the Battle of Saratoga, he was wounded. At the Battle of Saratoga, he was wounded. And and he was given a desk job. He certainly felt that he had been passed over by the Continental Congress. He certainly felt like he was disliked by many of his peers. He had something of a prickly personality and and, and yet, he up to this point was hero of our fledgling nation's fight for independence. George Washington counted him as one of his fiercest and most faithful battleground generals. He gave him a a job as a military commander in Philadelphia, essentially the, the, the mayor of Philadelphia just under military rule. He, he became the, uh, the, the military general in Philadelphia, but the governor of Pennsylvania didn't like him very much and so brought charges against him of, of graph, of, of taking stuff, of, of being dishonest. And Here he found himself once again sitting in the seat of dishonor, fighting for his own respect and honor. He was found innocent on all charges. Doesn't mean he was, but he was found innocent on all charges. And General Washington wanted to make him the general of the Southern Army. But by this time, Benedict Arnold had other plans. He decided he wanted to take charge of a post about 60 miles north of New York City, a place we know as West Point, that was strategic uh, for the American Revolution, for the colonies, and protecting the harbors and, and uh, barricading against an English onslaught. By, by May of 1779, Benedict Arnold started talking with a loyalist sympathizer, John Andre, who was really a British spy. Not only did he talk with this British spy, the chief of the British spies on the colonies, not only did he talk with him, he began to trade secrets with him. In September 1779, Benedict Arnold had given uh, this chief of British spies uh, passes to West Point where the British could abscond with all kinds of information and necessities. But he was caught. Andre was caught. He was caught by an American spy named Talmadge. 
Talmadge took Andre and they found the passes, the papers that Benedict Arnold had signed. It just so happened that George Washington was on his way to West Point to check things out. When he got there, he discovered that West Point was in disarray. The fortifications had been, uh, gone, had been left untended. The, the sentries were off duty, and, and it was obvious that there was something wrong. But Benedict Arnold had already gotten word that Andre had been arrested, and he flew the coop. And from that moment on, Benedict Arnold was no longer the hero of Saratoga. Benedict Arnold was a treacherous traitor who committed treason against her nation. You know Benedict Arnold's name. You might not know who signed uh, all the signatures on the Declaration of Independence. You may not know who actually wrote the Declaration of Independence. But you know who Benedict Arnold is. He's known for his infamy. Today, I want, us to, I want us to take a journey through Mark chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 43 and, and go all the way to chapter 15, verse 15. I can't read all of it. I encourage you to take the time to read uh, portions of it. But as we read through this... I. I think it's so important for us not to race through the narrative and forget the message that God would have us hear, apply, take hold of. So I want us to be a little bit reflective this morning. I I want you to join me in thinking about the condition of our hearts. See, I wonder what it was that led Benedict Arnold to go from victory to defeat. Because that's exactly what he did. He he made a choice. He could have gone left or he could have gone right. He could have chosen the pathway to, uh, to, to victory by remaining loyal to his country. Or he could have chosen the pathway to defeat by abandoning his nation and his oath and joining the, uh, the, uh, the British forces as a, as a spy, an informer, as a traitor. And you wonder why it was that he made the choice he did. And I don't know. And people don't agree. It might have been love. It might have been money. It might have been fear. It might have been frustration. But for whatever reason... He chose to be a traitor. He chose defeat. But we know it shows the condition of his heart. In Mark chapter 14, the story of Jesus leaving the Garden of Gethsemane. Last week we saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be arrested and, and delivered into the hands of, of uh, the Sanhedrin, and, and, and he knows he's about to be killed. And so he bows in the Garden of Gethsemane, as David Frost preached last week, a powerful, wonderful sermon. He He falls on his face. He knows the white-hot heat of circumstance is about to come. And so he prays to the Father. And he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Let that be done. And he comes back and he finds his disciples sleeping again. And 
Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Great lesson for us today. If you want to walk the path of victory, you need to walk the path of prayer. But that was last week's sermon, and I can't preach it. And Jesus finds his disciples sleeping. He says, enough of this. Let's get on with it. Pick up in verse 43. Just read these first few verses, and then I'll refer to other, pas- other verses in this long passage. Immediately while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, um, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and elders. Verse 44. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away. As soon as Jesus had come, immediately Judas went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they took, uh, then they laid their hands on him and took him. What leads Judas? What leads Judas to walk the path of defeat? rather than the path of victory. Make no mistake, he was walking the path of defeat. If you go down another verse that I want you to look at, verse 62 um, of chapter 14, that Jesus is on trial, and and the chief priest says, I'm I'm tired of all this back and forth. Listen, are you or are you not the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And verse 62, Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of glory, clouds of heaven. Jesus was saying, yes, I'm the Messiah, and I'm the one whom God has sent to reign and to rule over you. And I'm the pathway to victory. So here, if you get nothing else in this message, if you get nothing else, understand this one thing, the pathway to victory in your daily life and in mine. The pathway to victory is when we choose Every day throughout the day to follow Jesus faithfully. He is the victory. So you want to have victory in your circumstances, however bad they may be. You want to have victory in your emotions, however depressed they may feel. You want to have victory in your relationships, however fragile they may have frayed. You want to have victory in your church. You want to have victory at your job. You want to have victory Over all things, follow Jesus faithfully. You've got a choice. I've got a choice. We have a choice. But what I want us to see clearly is I think, I think all of us have a little Judas in us. I know, I know that all of us are like the disciples that forsake Jesus. We have a choice to make. We can go right or left. We can choose victory or we can choose defeat every day throughout the day. We've got a choice to make. And in the heat of the moment, under the weight of white hot painful circumstances, how we choose shows the nature of our heart for Jesus. 
We don't know why Benedict Arnold betrayed Jesus. We don't know why Judas betrayed Jesus. Uh, why Benedict Arnold betrayed America. We don't know why Judas betrayed Jesus. Just don't know. We don't know for sure what it was that made him betray Jesus. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was frustration. Maybe it was money. It certainly wasn't love for Jesus, but maybe it was love for himself. Whatever the reason, Judas determined that Jesus had to go. Even though Judas had proclaimed allegiance to Jesus, even though Judas was one of the trusted disciples of Jesus, he was the one who handed Jesus over. And I think we've got to take a moment and think about it, about ourselves. If we're going to choose a path of victory, we need to reflect on the status and the nature of our heart. And, and so let me ask you a question. Do we have a heart that pretends affection for Jesus? Pretend. And what I mean by this is Judas was not a, a person who had been transformed by God's grace. He was not a person that was part of God's family. He was not a person that will enter into heaven. He was a person who determined to pretend an affection for Jesus, but all along he was not really his follower. He pretended affection right up to the end. You saw it. He went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, words of respect and honor. And then he kissed Jesus, uh, 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 an act of affection and endearment. And with those words and with that kiss, he betrayed him, stabbed him in the back. He's known as the son of perdition. You know, look that word up. No, really, look that word up. Judas only pretended to love Jesus. We know that the religious leaders that we see in verses 53 through 65, they're the ones that, that put Jesus on trial. They had false accusations and false testimonies. And, and, and their whole big thing about the religious leaders, I want you to get this, they weren't sure what the charges were going to be, but the verdict had already been settled. Jesus was going to be found guilty of blasphemy. And they worked it until they got it. They had one desire, and that is to snuff out Jesus, to get rid of Jesus. They didn't even pretend affection. They just wanted to destroy him. Interestingly, the crowds of chapter 15, you know, they, they take Jesus and they bring him before Pilate. And, and Pilate says, are, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus says, it is as you say. That's verse 2 of chapter 15. And, and, and then uh, Pilate says, man, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. What, what do you want me to do? And they said, we, he, he's been found guilty of our court. So he needs to be, he needs to be put to death. And and so Pilate, trying to find a way out of his conundrum, he, he, uh, he, on the festival day, they, they had an opportunity. They could either take a criminal named Barabbas, who had been found guilty of, of uh, uh, all kinds of crimes, and he was a revolutionary, hardened criminal type person, or there was Jesus. And what was Jesus guilty of? Jesus was guilty of um, 
making the lame walk. Jesus was guilty of making the blind see. Jesus was guilty of raising the dead, healing the lepers, and teaching the truth of God. Pilate, even though he was not Jewish and really didn't have a comprehension of Jew, Judaism, he, he thought, man, this crowd, uh, they, they certainly will choose Jesus because he had an opportunity. He could say, you can have Barabbas and I'll let go Jesus or I can, uh, or, or I can uh, uh, take Barabbas and crucify him and let go uh, uh, Jesus. I think I said that same way. Anyway, I have a grandbaby. Her name is Lucy. Uh, <laughs> He said, what do you want me to do? And they said, they said, give us Barabbas. This crowd, the crowd that just days before had, had, had lined the streets of Jerusalem and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as Jesus rode by on a donkey. And, and this same crowd, stirred up by the religious leaders, this same crowd said to Pilate, give us Barabbas. And he said, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And they said, kill him. Good gracious. Today, you look at Judas and you look at Pilate and you look at the crowd and you think, are they, are they pretending affection for Jesus? But even more importantly, in this setting right here, that's said and done. What's important is right here in this setting, are you pretending affection? When I say pretend affection, I mean that you are not a follower of Jesus. You only pretend to be. When I say pretend affection, I, I mean you put on the show of being part of God's family, but you're not. He doesn't have your heart. He has your Sunday morning attendance. Or he has your um, uh, religious words and phrases. Or he has you... Um, uh, in, in how you look and how you talk. Some of you have been here for years, but I've been a pastor long enough and read enough church history to know that there are people who have been with us every week for, for, for decades. And you're sitting right here and you're right here among us, but you are pretending affection for Jesus. You're not part of God's family. Your heart is far from him. Maybe you just need to take a long, hard look and say, it's time for me to stop pretending. You wonder how, how, it, is, how it would be, how do I know if I'm pretending affection? Well, uh, if every time you are faced with this, it's either Jesus or it's me, and you choose you every single time, chances are you're not a follower of Jesus. You're only pretending affection. When it gets hard, when life gets tough, when you are caught in the crosshairs of choice, where it's either I've got to choose to be faithful to Jesus or choose to be faithful to my friends or faithful to myself or faithful for the money or faithful for this or that, and you choose every single time to be faithful not to Jesus but to yourself or to your friends or to the money or whatever it may be, chances are you're not a follower of Jesus. You're pretending affection. It doesn't matter how many times you show up here. I've said it before. I haven't said it in a while, but let me say it this time. Showing up and sitting in a church building doesn't make you part of God's family any more than sitting in a doghouse makes you a dog. 
And some of us are counting on sitting in the building, and that's going to make us followers of Jesus. It just doesn't work like that. And Judas and Pilate and the crowd, man, they, 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 they said, man, we're going to pretend affection for Jesus, but then we're going to betray him. We're going to try to kill him. Are you pretending affection? By the way, if you are, that means that you need to repent your sin once and for all. Abandon yourself in the arms of Jesus. Confess that he is your only hope for victory in life and in death and for eternity. It means that you trust that Jesus' death on the cross is payment for your sin, and that's the only hope you have of finding victory and hope in this life or the next. It means you come to the end of yourself and you stop pretending and you start committing all that you are to Jesus. And maybe there's some here today, that's exactly what you need to do. If it is, I beg you to do that very thing. Is your heart pretending affection for Jesus? The end result is defeat. If you're, if you're only pretending, let me tell you how, it go, how it's going to end up. Okay? If you're only pretending, it's going to end up in defeat, despair, doom, destruction. That's how it's going to end up. And Judas killed himself. That's how happy he was. If you choose the pathway of pretending affection or just wanting Jesus to be out of your life altogether, then you're choosing defeat. But then you have the disciples. Jesus gets arrested. Look at verse 50 of chapter 14. Mark 14, verse 50. And they all forsook him. Maybe you're not pretending affection. But maybe your heart is consumed with a fickle, fleeting affection that forsakes Jesus when it gets really hard. Not all the time, but when it's really hard, you run away from Jesus, not toward Jesus. The disciples ran away. Again, we don't know why. We, I, I mean, it, obviously, the guy that they've been following, he's arrested. So maybe that's why. But not really because they had seen Jesus walk on water. They had seen Jesus roll away a stone and call Lazarus up from the dead. They had seen Jesus multiply breads, uh, loaves of bread and fish and feed 5,000. They had seen Jesus do this and so much more that we don't even know about. They had seen it all. And yet, in that moment, <laughs> they ran for the shadows. And they left Jesus alone. 
Oh, they proclaimed to love Jesus. You, you remember um, uh, at the Last Supper, Jesus met with his disciples, and he said, one of you betray me, and is it I, is it I, is it I, is the one who dips their, their bread with me? And then he goes on, and he says, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter, and you will leave me. And you remember what Peter said, not I, Lord. I'll be with you to the death with my last breath. And all the other disciples joined in and said, us too. Jesus. But the prediction of Jesus came true when he was struck. When he was arrested, they ran. They tried to hide. Their affection for Jesus wasn't willing to go through the grist mill of suffering. And I think we've got to ask ourselves that same question as followers of Christ. I believe the majority of people here, you want to follow Jesus. You want to be faithful to him. When you wake up in the morning, you want to choose the path that leads to victory. You want to experience uh, the joys of that victory walking with Jesus alongside him. And, And you want that. And I believe that. I want that. But how many times in a week, how many times in a day is my affection fickle? And fleeting. My affection is fickle and fleeting anytime Jesus says, I want you to do A, and I say no. Anytime God's purpose takes me through a deep, dark valley, and I say, Jesus, you're unfair and unjust. Anytime I set my preferences and my perspective above the will and the word of God. Anytime I decide that what I know is more, more better than what God knows. We live in a time where trauma triggers us so immediately. And yet as followers of Christ, we can't be fickle even in our triggered trauma. We must be faithful. You can go left or you can go right. You can choose victory or you can choose defeat. But the pathway to victory is always faithfully following Jesus. Even through the fire of conflict, pain, and controversy. Is your affection fleeting and fickle, or is it faithful? Yes, and then no. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. I I, I feel like a a person with multiple personalities, right? Uh, Similar to what Paul wrote in Romans 7 where he says, Man, I am just a miserable wretch because the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. And the things that I know I, I want to do, those are the things I don't do. Poor, miserable wretch am I. And it's the battle that we face as followers of Christ, as those who are part of God's family. There is a want to in us to do what God wants. That's what sets us apart from those who are pretending affection for Jesus. There's not even a want to there. They're just playing a game. There's not a want to faithfully follow Jesus unless it gets them something. As followers of Christ, we have a want to follow Jesus, whether it's good times or bad times. That's what we want to do. But how can we do it? I think part of it is if we just understand this is the only way to get victory. The only way we can find victory in everyday life, for our emotions, for our families, for, for our church in, in life. The only way we can get to victory is if we faithfully follow Jesus. 
That's it. That's all. Circumstances may be terrible, but if we don't faithfully follow Jesus, even in terrible circumstances, we're choosing defeat, despair. The disciples portray this. When when the disciples were fickle and fleeting, Peter again sets the model. He, He becomes the epitome. Peter, verses 66 to 72, Peter is there by the campfire. Somebody says, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. I can hear it in your voice. You're one of his disciples. You're from Galilee. No, I'm not. I know you're one of them. Curse, 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 I'm not. And then the rooster crowed, just as Jesus predicted. The scripture says, and Peter heard it. I think verse 72. Peter heard it and he wept bitterly. When you and I choose to be fickle in our affection and unfaithful in following Jesus, when we choose that, the result will always be soul-crushing regret. Always. I don't need Peter to tell me that. I know it myself. Look, I'm not saying it's easy to follow Jesus. It's hard. That's why when he described it, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, he needs to take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. It's not easy to follow Jesus, but it's the only way to be fulfilled. It's not easy to follow Jesus. There are going to be some hard times. And sometimes it's, it just seems easier to choose to be fickle in our affection. But don't do that. Anytime you choose yourself above Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, you are choosing soul-crushing regret. Any time you choose your personal comfort above Jesus, you're choosing soul-crushing regret. Don't have time to spell all this out, but what are you going to do with Jesus? Well, you're either going to follow him faithfully or you're going to be fickle. You're either going to follow him faithfully or you're going to pretend affection. Or you can follow him faithfully. And Jesus, I think, helps us understand a little bit about what it takes to follow him because of the way he handled the white-hot heat of his own suffering. Prayer leads us to victory. It prepares our heart for victory. So if you're going to follow Jesus faithfully, you need to spend time in prayer. That was last week's message. But from this week, you look at Jesus, I think there are a couple of things that we can learn. First, go with God's will even if you go it alone. God reveals his will through his word, the Bible. Verse 49 of chapter 14, Jesus said, uh, here I am and you come to arrest me, but scripture's got to be fulfilled. 
I'm going the way that Scripture says. He was determined to do what God wanted. Can I humbly suggest that not everybody around you, neither friends nor, nor family, are going to choose to go with God's will? There are going to be times and seasons when they choose other things. But as for me, I'm going to choose God's will, I pray. It's my commitment every day. Just as Jesus prayed, God, I really don't want to go through any hard time. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Let's get up and let's get on with it. Maybe, maybe if you'd start the day with that prayer, maybe it'd prepare you for difficult days because it's in the heat of choice that your heart is revealed. And if it's a heart that's faithful in affection for Jesus, then you're going to go with God's will. Second thing, we define our present circumstance by God's purpose. Again, verse 49, Jesus said, I'm about to go into this, this uh, buzzsaw of pain. But it's okay. Because this is the way God wants it. And that, that, that informs us about us. You see, we're supposed to be followers of Jesus. That means we adopt his attitude. And the way he defined the painful present experience, the f- way he defined the suffering that he endured, the way he defined it was uh, understanding that what he was about to endure was a fulfillment of Isaiah 53 verse 12. Isaiah 53, 12 says that, that, and this was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, before he entered the scene of human history uh, as a baby. Uh, Jesus understood he was the fulfillment, that, that he was the suffering servant who would come and bear the sin of many. That he was the suffering servant that would uh, uh, intercede for transgressors. He, he, was, he was the one upon whom the chastisement for... Um, our forgiveness was going to be laid. And so as he walked into that buzzsaw of suffering, he said, yeah, this is God's purpose, and therefore I'm going to walk it. Not easy. It's not a stroll in the park. It's not fishing by the lake. It's not sitting on the beach looking at the sunset. This is getting beaten and being killed being rejected and abandoned. All for the glory and honor of God, to fulfill God's purpose. Now, as followers of Jesus, that has to be our attitude. We define where we are today and where we'll be tomorrow. We define it by God's purpose. Under the umbrella of every circumstance I face, I know God has a design, and I want to faithfully follow Jesus in the midst of it. And that doesn't mean all good times. So often we, we think that being a follower of Jesus means um, lollipops and unicorns and brand new Cadillacs and free from all kinds of difficulty. And it doesn't mean that at all. Being a follower of Jesus 
being faithful and following Him means that when the rain comes and when the storm rages and when the wind blows, our life stands firm and strong because we're built upon the purposes of God revealed by Jesus Christ to our heart. You got problems. I got problems. But faithfully following Jesus means I have victory in the midst of those problems. At the end of his life, Benedict Arnold said, uh, supposedly, it's not confirmed, but supposedly, said, let me be buried in my old uniform. God forgive me for ever wearing another. Regret. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I want you to know you will only regret not following him faithfully. You'll only regret it because it leads to defeat and despair. But if you will faithfully follow him, You'll set aside every other affection, even if it's an affection for yourself. You'll set aside every other affection. I can promise you. God promises you. There will be victory. Bow your heads with me, please. As we respond to God's word today, and I pray that he speaks to you very clearly, I, I hope and pray that you would hear his call If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come to Christ. Maybe even ask, oh God, will you in this moment give me the heart I need to embrace Jesus as Savior and King? If you are a follower of Jesus and you've been known for your fickle, fleeting affections for Jesus, maybe today is the day for you to say, no more. Oh God, with all my heart, I pray that you would help me follow the only one who can give me victory and follow him faithfully. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing songs of praise together and reflect, think on Jesus and the victory that he provides when we turn and trust in him and follow him. And here at the front of this platform and some steps, we call it an altar and maybe you need to come and talk to God about your misplaced affections or your fickle affection for Jesus there are going to be ministers here at the front maybe you need to come and talk to them ask them to pray over you and with you and for you and maybe you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ and you know that you need to come to Christ to stop pretending. I invite you to come and tell that to one of the ministers and they'll help you on that journey of faithfully following Jesus. So Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you'd be glorified, that you'd be magnified, that you would change our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.